NRD, welcome back to the Cold Stove Podcast, presented by Wash Media Live from the Lodge in Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Brett Merriman, at Merriman, in front of me, NHL Rumors Daily at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. NRD, what's going on, man? What is up, Brett? Happy to have you. Happy that you got a new laptop back in the fold here. We're uh, hitting the ground running this week. It's going to be a good week on the Cold Stove Pod. Buddy, we are we are so back. This thing is flying, too. You know what? It got to see the... It's good because m- mine sounds like it's taken off to Mars right now again, so it's good. <laughs> I, I have to go in and, and post and take out NRD's uh, spaceship laptop. When I, when I, yeah. when I go on my, my rants, NRD's laptop likes to uh, join the conversation. On our works for SpaceX, it's taking off right now. I'm exactly, test pilot program on the battery. <laughs> uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Stove Pod. Shoot us questions or topics that we need to cover. We got some this week that we definitely are going to jump into that we have not been able to get to. Uh, hit us up on Apple, Spotify, wherever you may get your podcasts, and leave a review. I want to go through some uh, to begin here on our dear. I got some heartwarming ones for you. Ready for this? Let's go. This is from Philly fan. 1021 Top Shelf Hockey Pod. Extremely easy to follow, even as a casual fan. Great team coverage and just a lot of fun to listen to. How about that? I love it. Simple. Uh, this one comes from Shaz Diet. Why the hate for the Bruins? Uh-oh. Awesome. Okay. He says, awesome podcast, but why the hate for the Bruins? Uh, listen, the Bruins hate's not coming from me. Maybe it's coming from the Buffalo fan in the room, but I'll tell you what, I like Boston. I think they're really good. Maybe... He's a little upset with how we kind of were a little bearish on the Tuka Rass situation last week on the episode, but uh, I, I listen. Was that, I a, uh, was that a, a pun in, intended there? A little bearish? I'd have been. A little bearish <laughs> on the uh, on the Bruins and Tuka Rask, but no, I love Boston. I think they're a great team. They're still in the hunt this year. They play in a division that's probably set up for them to prolong their success in the NHL, and uh, there's no Boston Bruins hater here, at least. Yeah, I only hate them because they took uh, – my pride and joy, Curtis Lazar from the Buffalo yeah. Sabres, who was my favorite fourth-line center probably uh, they've had in the last five years. So that's, Taylor that's Hall why. Wasn't, is Taylor Hall not the pride Taylor, Hall, Taylor Hall, he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot for me. I'll put it that way. Very short stay. Yeah, very short stay that uh, he, had some, he had some fun moments, but I don't think the Taylor Hall, Ralph Kruger, Jack Eichel-led Sabres were ever going to be what they, uh, we thought they might be. This one comes from Jay Red. No, it's the last one here. Brought back a decade-long lapsed fan. I'm 42 years old and a lifelong Connecticut resident. I've always loved sports and followed the Big Four. Over the past decade, though, I got away from the NHL for various reasons, focusing on the Bills, football, NBA, and combat sports. However, over the last few weeks, Cold Stove has got me back into the NHL, and I very much appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We'll be listening. There you go. Donald, I, I, I like that one. That's fun. And what's good about that is 42 in Connecticut is our target demo on the Cold Stove exactly. Pod. So, I mean, we are right on. We're right on the right course here. I mean, we're charting ahead full speed. I mean, we're hitting what we're supposed to hit. Right. So and I so like when we keep peppering the Manscaped and the uh, the hair loss ads, our, our demo is, is perfectly set up for that. It's, we're right there. NRD, let's get into some hockey, shall we? Okay. Uh, where are we at right now? Out there on the California coast. The last time we spoke, Bob Murray was the GM of the Anaheim Ducks, as of today, he's not. Jim Solomon, or excuse me, Jeff Solomon has taken over in the interim. Where are we at in Anaheim? The Bob Murray situation is interesting, right? Because if you talk to anybody around the National Hockey League, nobody has a good Bob Murray story. There's very few... 
people in the NHL who will say great things about Bob Murray. But at the same time, I will say, uh, you know, it's great that he's getting help for, for his alcohol abuse that, that he said and basically self-announced that he's going to check into a facility to get help for that. And I think it's even better that the, that the ownership in Anaheim is paying for that um, because at the end of the day, that's the type of guy that there's an end of the day for the uh, for the people counting at home. <laughs> there's a guy that wants to get better and is doesn't want to be known anymore as an asshole around the National Hockey League. So so kudos to him. Where does Anaheim go? Well, they're playing really well. The performance on the ice has been stellar. It's been beyond expectations for probably what we thought Anaheim was going to be able to do going into this year. We thought that maybe some of the younger guys were going to get more play. And the veterans were just going to be there and Getzloff and Shattenkirk. Getzloff, obviously, in the twilight of his career. Shattenkirk, probably the same, too. But Anaheim looks like they're in the hunt right now. And if they continue on this path, I I've, I wonder if they were... Obviously, we know they were teaming on Jack Eichel. And that didn't work out. Eichel's in Vegas now. But does Anaheim still look to add maybe at that center position? I, I mean... We could point to the veterans that they have there and say maybe just ride out the course, but I, I think that Anaheim is in a position where they're in the hunt, and I could see them making a play for probably not a Thomas Hurdle being right up the coast there in San Jose, but if a Ryan Strom pops loose from the New York Rangers, one of those maybe two, three level centers that can just add depth up the middle. Trevor Zegras is continuing to grow into that number one center role in Anaheim, so I I would. I'm a little bit, if I was bearish on the uh, Tuka Rass stuff at the beginning of the show, I'm a little bit more bullish on Anaheim potentially adding up the middle, going into the trade deadline and into the trade freeze because of how they've been playing, just rewarding the guys in the locker room with a new addition. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a cool start from Anaheim. They they started, well, they started poorly and then ripped seven in a row. And all of a sudden, a month into the season, they're like, okay, you know, new GM or interim GM, I should say. And things are kind of are, are moving along out there. I just don't know. I you know the way that team's constructed right now. I'm going to disagree with you. I I just can't see them being unless it's like a this year thing, and they go and grab like a Kessel or something like that, a, a pending UFA contract. I I just don't see why or how they they want to build unless it's like truly for the like Jack Eichel right he had 5 years left on his contract that's a future piece Getzlaff's not going to be around in 5 years Shattenkirk's not going to be around in 5 years so I, they're just a weird team where they have a lot like a lot of young talent a lot of guys in the pipeline a lot of old vets who are playing probably above where we expected them to be playing so like what are they are they a young team that wants to build for the future or are they a, a win now competitive team with with guys i think it's it's probably a build for the future type of team and Getzlaff is more likely a sell than a guy to build your playoff series around i don't think you're wrong at all i'm looking at maybe i'm just looking at it through the rose-colored anaheim glasses here in an anaheim ducks utopia now you have a guy in maxime comptois who is clearly not what the organization has thought he was and that's we're not sure if he ever can come out of that situation or not, but if you use Comtois, you're probably he's probably the biggest trade chip right now in Anaheim. If Anaheim were to add, you could probably place your money on Maxime Comtois going the other way. If that's the case, you could say if you get one of these selling teams at the deadline that really values Maxime Comtois and thinks that he's a change of scenery guy, if you move out Comtois and you bring in a good good centerman, are you really losing? You're only gaining. I mean, you're not really dipping into that young talent pool. It's really kind of 
addition by subtraction plus you're actually adding at the end of the day so it's something to ponder i think that like i said that's that's more of just being a anaheim ducks optimist at this point if comtois is the sole guy that moves and then they bring in a piece but if you could pull that off if you're jeff solomon i I think it's something you have to absolutely explore because you're not losing anything of that out of that young talented lineup because comtois has only been in half the time and he hasn't been performing yeah no you're right i i mean it's it's kind of funny you look at their you look at their roster and you say man this this feels like a uh like a grocery store almost you the, Anaheim's got all the not only do they have all the ingredients but they have a lot of uh items for sale that are are solid like a John Gibson for example has been playing phenomenally yeah but depending on the direction they want to go that's another trade ship Comtois same thing Manson is on an expiring contract I know they don't want to let him go but do you go rent him out for for three months and then say hey we'd love to have you back type of thing same thing goes for a Hampus Lindholm. Really, a couple really good defensemen there, and the market for defensemen we know is hot and only going to get hotter as the season wears on. And then you look up the middle, Troy Terry, uh, the only guy not named Leon Dreisaitl or Alex Ovechkin who has more goals than the rest of the league, Troy Terry. If you're the Olympic team, <laughs> you know what? If Jack Teichel's not healthy, give me Troy Terry this year. What an awesome, really cool. What an awesome breakout story that is. Really cool thing about Troy Terry, and I find this fascinating, is he will be in the in the mix for Team USA. We're not sure if he gets on the roster, but if he does, he'll be one of the only guys that was there in the replacement player Olympics in Pyeongchang in 2018 on that Team USA roster, and then basically plays his way onto the NHL Olympic squad. Um, so that's that's kudos to him. I mean, that's pretty impressive, and he's been on fire lately. I think he's four or five games short as of recording this of the Anaheim Ducks points record, points streak record. He's been on fire, so it's that give-or-take thing, right? And I think you've made great points. At the same time, though, you name some very good players. So do you say, do we sell off these great players and continue on this youth movement? Or we have some great players. Maybe we try to just see if this sticks for one year. And I think you made a great point on the Phil Kessel thing. Maybe that's a possibility, an expiring contract, a UFA that comes in, and you just see how this season goes without doing much long-term damage or not damage, but um, reconstructing of the cap in the long term. But they have the space. I mean, they have $11 million now with with daily accrual of cap space. They're going to be up to $55 million at the deadline. Cap space is not going to be an issue for the Anaheim Ducks. So they can get it done. The question just becomes, and like you said, is is this the course we want to go on? Do we want to add in the long term? Are we ready to even add? The Gibson thing, I think that's a win-win situation because we've known that there's been rumors about John Gibson moving on from Anaheim. Right now, he hasn't. he's been a little reluctant to waive his no-movement clause. He's been outstanding, like you said, so it's a win-win if you're Anaheim in that if you keep playing good, and if you keep playing well, rather, and he just is playing out of his mind, maybe he doesn't want to leave Anaheim because they're successful, so he doesn't want to waive that NMC. You know you have a goalie for the next six, seven years. Yeah. At the same time, if you if you kind of bottom out and he waives that NMC, you get a massive package for John Gibson because he has a ton of value around the National Hockey League. Totally. So I think, you know what, you know, this is going to be the uh, the non, you know, not the exciting answer. I think we'll know by, call it Christmas. Yeah. We'll give it another sure. month and a half. Where Where is Anaheim going to go? And uh, you know what, maybe maybe they go like 12 and 9 over the next month or whatever it is and and we're kind of in this place where it's like, yeah, they're, they're not bad, but do we have the pieces? Is it going to hurt us if we do it this year and go for something in the future? And when you have a, a center spine of Zedris and 
Sam Steele and Mason McTavish for the next couple of years? I don't know. I don't know. A, good, a fun team to watch and a fun team to watch, especially when it comes to their roster. A team that's been less fun to watch, NRD, and uh, I don't know if you'd call it a dumpster fire, but it's not far off. Like the, the Coyotes... The Coyotes are a bonfire, right? Because they're they know what they're doing, and so they're just yeah. like kind of basking in the glow. The Vancouver Canucks, however, dumpster fires would be uh, being nice. They've been outscored on the road trip that they just got back from, sixteen to nine, over the last three games. According to Elliot, uh, their owner Francesco Aquilini is having a meeting with Jim Benning, the GM, this afternoon. He does say that it's not a meeting to change the leadership per se, but a meeting to say what the fuck is going on. So let me post uh, that question to you, NRD. What the fuck is going on in Vancouver? I don't think they've, I mean, outside of Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes, because those are two can't-miss prospects, I don't think they're, they're young talent as as good as maybe the the media and the fans have portrayed. I think they've drafted pretty poorly over the years, especially under Jim Benning. And I think that's coming back to haunt them now as they transition out of being a very poor team and into a team that wants to contend. You need those young guys on cheap contracts providing you something in the lineup. And, and unfortunately, I don't think the Vancouver Canucks have drafted the right pieces. And that's not this, like I've said, Patterson, great player, stud, worth every penny. Quinn Hughes, absolute stud, maybe... We're still question mar- still question marks on how many pennies he's worth, but definitely a great defenseman. But outside of that, what do they really have? They have Brock Besser, who, who's a heart and soul guy, but he's been there, right? So who are you really adding to those three guys? And the question mark has been, you're supposed to supplement that through the draft. You're supposed to have these prospects, these young talents, the Ole Juliavs that you have, that you've drafted over the years, step into the lineup and perform, and they just haven't. So... Outside of the can't miss guys, they've they've missed, and, and I, unfortunately, you're not you don't get too many chances at missing in the National Hockey League, and I think this is the the domino in, in Jim Benning's tenure in in Vancouver, right? Like the the axe is going to fall on him eventually because of this, and I think that we're starting to see it now with the meeting with ownership today, and I don't expect it to let up into the off season. Listen, if if Vancouver misses the playoffs this year, it's going to be a complete retool in that organization in that front office and probably even on the on ice product because that roster is just not constructed they don't have the depth that they need to make a run and to go through the grind of an 82 game nhl season you're going to get highlight real goals and highlight real plays from uh from petterson and quinn hughes and demko's a very solid piece in that and that that's a big step in in getting into a contendership in the national hockey league but outside of that i mean we're talking about three or four guys and then nothing I misspoke earlier, NRD. I gave them too much credit. They were outscored 19 to six on the road trip. That is, uh, that's my dyslexia ticket in there. I said 16 to nine, 19 to six, even worse. But they do have a guy like you mentioned, Thatcher Demko. He's playing phenomenally, right? And how do you, how's a goalie playing phenomenally on a, on a team that's five and nine, right? He he is. He just he's getting they're getting outshot by a million on an, a team that likes to play offense first. But to your point, the only drafted defenseman on that team is Quinn Hughes. Yeah. That's not going to cut it. There's a couple drafted forwards on that team in Pedersen and Besser and, and Horvat. Hoaglander's playing well. But other than that, like if you can't build your team from within, 
and you're always relying on going into the market to try to get guys, that is not a recipe for success. And unfortunately, that points to one person. It's not Travis Green. It's Jim Benning. Jim Benning's in the last year of his contract, reportedly. So maybe, just maybe, this is Aquilini saying, don't touch this roster. You're out at the end of the year. We'll pay you. And we're going to do a, a clean house. They probably need, because uh, Travis Green is a Jim Benning guy. I would imagine there's a coaching change. Maybe not this year, but at the end of the year. I would imagine that Jim Benning is out. And I'd imagine they start fresh. Because they have guys. I mean, you mentioned Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, Bo Horvat. Connor Garland may be the best forward on the team right now in terms of how he's playing. I'm not saying upside or skill level. But Connor Garland plays his ass off every night. So there's got there's like things are there, but they're on the team right now. They're not they're not like building they're filling in their roster from behind with guys that they drafted. No, I, you go up and down the list I'm on right now, looking at their draft picks from the past you know five six years, and you know Hoglander, great find in the second round. Vasily Podkolzin, good player, probably not as hyped as we thought he once was. Um, Quinn Hughes, we know Quinn Hughes. Jet Wu didn't really work out. Tyler Madden somewhere else now. He's in L.A. Elias Pettersson, obviously, but Cole Lind, not there. Michael DiPietro, we thought he was going to be a great goaltender of the future for, for Vancouver. He's not there. So, so there's kind of like a, a organization-wide yeah. lack of development, right? And, and that begins with Benning and setting, you know, here's the type of game we're going to play and – Travis Green saying, okay, I'm going to take that development path and, and turn it into something and, and develop guys the way I want them to be developed. And that hasn't happened. And then you look at how talented some of the guys in that team is, and they have a league-worst 20 power play goals on the season. That's not getting the job done. And I think change is necessary. And, and in, in a diehard hockey market like a Vancouver, any, you know, any Canadian team really, the patience runs thin. And, and and it's not like Benning has been this golden boy GM for a while. I feel like every year we're talking about this at some point or another. And Aquilini gives him a pass for this reason or that reason. I don't know. I don't know how you fix the Vancouver Canucks. I think there's pieces there. I think it's a wholesale change. I think you need a guy to come in that that either uses what his players can do well and, and turns some of these guys around or inspires them. It just feel like feels like a team that has kind of just pouts around the locker room. Like, what are we? What is our goal? What are we doing here? In a division that they should be competing in. So I guess we'll, I, I guess we'll see where they go. I don't I don't I don't know of any imminent change, other than it should happen, but I haven't heard anything. I like that we followed up Anaheim with Vancouver because. Anaheim is a good look in the mirror for what Vancouver wanted to be, right? Like, Anaheim, we talked about their young talent, and, and up and down that lineup, they've drafted really well, and all those guys are contributing. Sam Steele, Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers, obviously he's more in that can't-miss pool with, like, a Elias Pettersson, not on the same talent level in the NHL yet, but in that, you know, it's hard to mess that one up. But Sam Steele, Troy Terry, um, you know, Maxime Comtois, although he's kind of not performing how he should, and we know why, but... Like, the Anaheim Ducks have not missed on those pieces, on those picks. Jamie Drysdale's another one. Whereas and they Vancouver, have Jake, Jake Perot, too, who's not even Jake on the Perot. team yet. Like, all these guys are going to be contributors for them. 
Exactly. Vancouver, where they've struggled is they have not drafted enough contributors. So like you've said, they've been finding themselves on the free agent market, spending a lot of money on players that just unfortunately are not worth the dime that they get because of how we inflate free agent contracts around the National Hockey League. There's pieces there, like we've said, Brock Besser, JT Miller is another guy I forgot to mention who I always think JT Miller is criminally underrated around the National Hockey League. I think People don't realize what he what he did with the Rangers. I mean, he didn't probably perform to the best of his abilities because of that system under Elaine Vigneault, but performed really well in Tampa, perform, is performing very, very well in Vancouver. So there are guys, but it's just like you've said. It, it's almost like in that lock, there's, it's not a cohesive unit. They're not playing as one cohesive unit right now. They're not playing as a team, and that is something that does change with organizational change from the top down. Just the question is, does it happen this year? It's not happening today. And with with Benning out, we know Benning's probably not going to be there this offseason. So do you even make that decision now? Do you just ride out this year and hopefully whoever comes in next hits on those good draft picks that you get? And I I don't want to be too negative for for you Vancouver folk because I love you. I'm a big fan of Vancouver, big fan of Banff, which is not in Vancouver. But that's an inside wash media joke if if you're new here. There's not a lot coming, NRD. And that... That is scary if you're a Vancouver fan. So I don't know. I guess you you got pieces to sell if you really want to tear it down to the studs. I just, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope in Vancouver, and I think the guys on the team know that. I think Benny knows that. And I think now Aquilini uh, is being alerted to that. Can't, can't go on like this. Anything else on Vancouver before we move on? No, I still wish somebody would... Uh offer sheet Elias Patterson in the offseason. I think if Jack Eichel was worth four first-rounders and that's what the offer sheet price was for, for Elias Patterson's pay scale, I wish somebody would have done it. And In hindsight, and I'm just throwing this out there, and this might be a hot take, but how nice would four first-round picks for Vancouver be right now over the next four years considering what, what their franchise is putting on the ice? I almost would argue, maybe it's not a clear-cut thing, but I'd argue that four first-round picks is definitely a fair fair ask or a fair value for Elias Pettersson, knowing what the organization is performing like right now. Yeah, they certainly need it, especially for a team that is what they are and does not have any cap space. Yikes. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to mention on Vancouver before we will move on is that a, a local radio show up there, shouts to Don Taylor and Rick uh, Dollywall of the team, they were asked by the team to tone down the negativity and I just cannot stand when teams get involved in the way the media portrays them. I know, uh, I know one very well where the media was state-owned, if you will, and uh, you couldn't really talk about a whole lot in terms of negativity or maybe a certain player with a neck injury. South of Niagara Falls, are you referring to? Yeah, thereabouts, yeah, more or less. I can't imagine a team saying, cut the shit, we don't need that, when you've been losing for as long as they've been losing. Not this, I'm not just talking about the Sabres, I'm talking about the Canucks here. The media should have every right to call, and journalism in general, that's what people do, is they hold people accountable and bring truth to light, right? That's, that's the journalistic principle. How a team could say, we don't, you know, it's one thing if they're, if a guy has a lower body injury, and they're out there saying, oh, yeah, it's his ankle or his Achilles or his knee. And you're giving pertinent information to a team that's like, okay, go target this. 
that's why I get that. And the team reaching out and saying, "Hey, cut the shit. We're trying to be we're we're trying to be better here. You guys are giving information that we don't need out there. That's one thing. But to say cut the negativity, we're we're trying to figure this thing out. No shit, you are. But somebody needs to hold somebody accountable. And that's my rant on state-owned media. Subscribe to it. <laughs> uh, speaking of knee injuries, Sammy Blay just tore his ACL. Have you watched the play? I have. I know who did it to him. Yeah. I know tough. we're going to have this discussion. We're about to go right <laughs> into this discussion. I don't think, I mean, I'll just come out and say it. I don't think that hit was as bad as some of his other hits or as some of his other slew foots or any knee-on-knee contact with P.K. Subban. But, you know, unfortunately, when you're, when you're a habitual committer of those types of plays, uh, you lose a little bit of the, of the backing of, you, of people. You lose the jury in the you court the of public opinion. NRD. Unfortunately for I agree. It wasn't a dirty play. It it is the guy, the area of injury, and the frequency of with which it happens that puts him in a in a bad spot. Unfortunately, and and wishing the best for Sammy. I like the I like the way he plays. They say six to eight months recovery time. I don't know what happens to PK Subban for this one. I would assume nothing. Nothing. Um. But that means that the Rangers have an opening in their lineup. Not to mention a bunch of cap space. There's a guy in St. Louis who has been, for lack of a better term, tearing it up. Does a Tarasenko to the New York Rangers trade, given where both teams are at currently, does that make sense, NRD? It makes sense if the Rangers think that they have a chance at this. And right now, the standings would point to they do have a chance at this. I'm not yet convinced that the New York Rangers organization is convinced. And Chris Jury is a very smart guy. I mean, he knew everybody gave him a lot of crap for the Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blay trade. And they got a second round pick along with Sammy Blay. Everybody gave him a lot of crap for that, giving up talent out of your lineup. But Sammy Blay has been playing tremendous for the New York Rangers off the puck as well as, you know, on the puck. He's been doing a lot for that lineup. He's been playing high up the lineup. Now, Barclay Goodrow is going to start on the first line, allegedly, um, in his place, along with Zibanejad and Kreider. So there's holes to fill now on the wing position. I think the question is, is if the Rangers feel like this is their year, that's when you make that move. And I'm not sure they're convinced it is yet because there are some red flags. If, if you watch the New York Rangers play, there are red flags in the way they play the game right now that I think the standings are not indicative of. But it... it Listen, if the Rain, if the New York Rangers say this year is our year, yeah, that's the guy you go after. You go after Vladimir Tarasenko. He wants to be in New York. He'd love to play with his friend Artemi Panarin. That's going to be the guy. And, and you have that you have that bridge with St. Louis because you traded for Sammy Blay there. So poach another winger from St. Louis. I don't think they'd mind too much. Would it take some pressure off of Capo Caco as well to have a Tarasenko ahead of him in the lineup? I think it takes pressure off of Capo Caco as well as Alexei Lafreniere. I mean, they both scored. The other night, so Saw everybody that. talking about how they've had one or two. Capo uh, has had nothing, but Alexei Lafreniere had like one point in the last nine games or something like that, and they both scored in the same night, so that was quite ironic. But yeah, I think it takes pressure off of both of them because right now they're equally super talented, and they have all their careers ahead of them to be one of the top, couple of the top players in the National Hockey League, but it's just not working out. And I think it's a valid question to ask, why do these uber-talented players never work out for the New York Rangers when they do work out in other places? 
It's a fair ask, but it takes pressure off of Capo Caco. So, I, yeah, Vladimir Tarasenko does more for just coming into the lineup and scoring goals for the New York Rangers. I think it rounds out that lineup. Well, and I think people really underestimate the physicality that Tarasenko plays with, not necessarily by hitting people, but with the offensive physicality in the zone, similar to Sammy, Sammy Blay, just all-world more talented than Sammy Blay. Now, the problem, you know, we're speculating here, right? I don't I don't have any smoke on Tarasenko to New York. I don't think, I don't I think know there's if... any, just to kind of clear the air, I don't think there's any Tarasenko yeah. smoke anywhere yet because of the reasons that we've mentioned episode in and episode out now on Cold Stove Pod that... St. Louis is playing probably a little bit better than they thought they would at this point, and Tarasenko's only continuing to build that trade value if they even consider one down the line. So that's the problem that I'm speaking of is is a trade involves going both ways. What kind like what do the Rangers have? The, the Blues have no cap space. Tarasenko would clear some of that up, obviously. What if you're the Rangers? What can you give up? You know, I, I kind of think back to the Eichel trade with. Their fans think everybody on their and and their brother is untouchable in that organization. Who is not untouchable if you're moving for somebody like Tarasenko? Obviously, Vitaly Kravtsov, right? That's the first answer. Okay. Sure. So yeah. we go from Kravtsov. They're deep in the blue line in terms of their prospect pool. So I know the Rangers think very highly of Braden Schneider. So maybe it's not a Braden Schneider, Schneider, but maybe it's a, a Zach Jones. Is, is is Keandre Miller untouchable at this point? The Rangers organization will say he's untouchable. I don't think he should be, but it doesn't matter what I think, to quote Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So, right. yeah, he, he's untouchable. So um, does Kravtsov, Keandre, and a first get it done for Tarasenko, in your mind? I mean, if you're St. Louis, you hammer except on that deal. I just don't think the New York Rangers are going to offer those three for for. Tarasenko I think you're looking much more likely is that if they give the first it's going to be a Zach Jones or somebody like that off the blue line in Hartford over a Keandre Miller I don't think the Rangers are going to eat too much into their starting lineup in New York but then that's a question I think you're much more in the realm of what the Rangers would be willing to do with a Kravtsov with a Zach Jones and a first or a second or a conditional pick for that matter um and then the question goes to St. Louis is that enough for Vladimir Tarasenko, because I could understand that not being enough. I, I would, I'll tell you what, it, that's that's all the uh, armchair GM will do on the Rangers right now with Tarasenko. But a line with him, Zabanejad, Kreider, Panarin, Kako, Lafreniere, like all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, there is some talent on this lineup, not to mention their blue line. And probably a top five goalie right now in terms of heat, right? Like he's just playing out of his mind. Mm -hmm. I think the Rangers have something to be excited about in terms of just pure talent that they haven't had in a long time. Right, like 24 wasn't even, I'm not going to call it the most talented team of all time. That was just like a hardworking, high effort, get the job done team. But this, this team is talented. Sammy Blay is a big hit. They have a guy like Barkley Goodrow who can kind of come in and and be that Sammy Blay. I guess we'll see when they play Washington again what Tom Wilson has to th- say about that. Moving on here, the uh, the trade market. You know, it's not. I wouldn't say it's hot, right? But, it, but as teams start and flounder or start and excel, priorities change, and options open up. That being said, a, a person who's got a poor start going. 
is the Penguins' backup goaltender, Casey DeSmith. There's also goalie problems in uh, Montreal. Among, uh, among all the other things in the league, I wanted to talk the goalie market. Who's on it? Who's moving? Etc. What do you know about what's going on with the goaltenders around the league? Pittsburgh's interested in a goaltender, and I don't think it's just Casey DeSmith. I'm not sure what the organization thinks of Tristan Jarry at that point. I'm not saying that as a, I don't know. I do know. I'm saying, like, I, I don't know how, how great the organization feels in Tristan Jarry at this point. Does Chicago blow up everything they did in the offseason to put Marc-Andre Fleury on the market? Obviously, then there's your there's Pittsburgh guy because he's got a no-movement clause. So... There's there's Pittsburgh's goaltender. I think you can start to draw straws there if that's the case. Outside of Flurry to Pittsburgh, you're looking at a Jonathan Bernier in New Jersey. There's depth. You're looking at a Thomas Grice in Detroit. There's depth. You're looking How about at, in the uh, the Lone Star State where I currently reside. Maybe they, a team they got three in. Of them. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say we, they they probably have four of them, right? Yeah, is Holpe is is, yeah, is Holpe Holpe Kedobin, Bishop coming back once he's healthy, and Jake Ottinger. I, I'm willing to bet one is 100% gone because they honestly they need to be, and I don't think two is out of the realm of possibility in Dallas. What do you think? I I'm honestly I'm leaning more towards two than one because Ottinger is a great goalie, and you're not moving him, so he's your young guy in the stable. And then you keep a guy like Braden Holpe. I think Holpe out of the three that we're referring to, the Holpe, Ben Bishop, and Antoine Kudobin mix. Holpe's probably the guy that stays. Just because he's played he's on, well for them. Yeah. Playing well. He's on a one year deal. You can kind of ride that out and see what it turns into in the offseason. Kudobin, he's probably the most likely to go, I would say. He's he's also playing well. Um we've known what Kudobin can do when he gets when he gets successive starts. He's played really well over the past couple of years for Dallas and he has a ton of value around the league. And then Bishop's that wild card, right? Because health has been a major concern of Ben Bishop over the past four or five seasons now. I mean, very talented, has played at the highest level, has went to a Stanley Cup final in his career, but has just not been there for a full 82. And I don't mean playing all 82 because no goal in the NHL does that, but he just hasn't even been in the building for a full 82 because of injuries. So there's concern amongst teams acquiring Ben Bishop because of his injury history. He's got value. I'm not going to say he's you know one of those guys that you're really taking a flyer on to get. But I'd rank him in the order of Kudobin 1, Bishop 2, Holtby 3, and likeliness to move if you're Dallas. But I feel good about saying definitely 100% one of them is going to move when, when Bishop comes back healthy. I'd feel better about saying two. There's no reason to keep three because you could grab a guy like a, you know, a Louis Domingue or one of those guys who have just been a third goalie around the National Hockey League for his career and kind of ride with that as your third with Ottinger and Holtby. So I feel good about saying there's a chance that both move. Now you're looking at Montreal because who knows what's going on with Carey Price. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I still, you know, that statement that he put out the other day, now that he is out of the player assistance program of the NHLPA, I give him all the kudos and the credit in the world for doing what he did. But at the same time, we're talking about the on-ice product of the Montreal Canadiens and they're not really settled in net right now. So you can look there for Kudobin. You can look at, you know, does a Jonathan Bernier make sense for a Montreal as a stopgap? Because you have, you're probably more optimistic than we are right now about Carey Price returning to a high level. So does a one, does a 
10, 20, 30 game stopgap in Bernier or Thomas Grice work. That's a possibility. Tuka Rask doesn't want to leave Boston, but he is skating. That's another guy out there on the free agent market that you don't have to give up assets for. So the goalie market is churning around the National Hockey League. The question is going to be when where does the first domino fall? The goalie like it, it's the goalie market may be one of the most interesting what do you want to call it? The most interesting facets of the next 4 or 5 months of the NHL season. Like you can almost say every team, and this is not no different than any other year, but every team has either a need or a surplus. And so I think there's going to be a lot of dancing around the goalie market. You look at a guy like Grubauer in Seattle. They're not playing well. You know, they're not they're not a, a great team right now. Darcy Kemper in Colorado. Do they need a stud to to get them over the hump? You look, look at you look at Buffalo. If Buffalo keeps playing well, I know they're sort of under the the organizational uh, hey, we're not going to do anything with our goalies because but Craig Anderson's hurt. They're playing with Aaron Dell now. UPL Ukrapekalukin is not ready yet, even though he was the AHL Player of the Week. Glad he's getting the ball rolling. Mike Smith just had a setback in Edmonton, so that they've been connected to goalies forever. I think you're right. Something a, a domino is going to fall. Where and why and how I don't know, but there is going to be 15 goalie moves in my opinion. Just there's so many guys, and the, and the market is so out of whack. In terms of need and like a demand and supply, that something's going to happen. One name that I failed to mention before, and I think is very interesting, is the New York Rangers' Alexander Georgiev, right? Yeah. Because Shesterkin has been playing out of this world, and he's proven time and time again why he's a top goaltender in the National Hockey League. Georgiev has really underperformed in his past couple of starts, and even into last season. There are there is uh, depth in the organization in terms of Tyler Wall and Adam Huska and Keith Kincaid, what they have down in Hartford. So there, there is goaltender depth to move on from a Georgiev in a backup standpoint. He's valued around the league, probably not as highly as the Rangers would like him valued. I know that for a fact, as he's been available over the past couple of off-seasons, the Rangers have not moved off a first-round asking price for Alexander Georgiev because of the position and because of the, the upside of him. Maybe that comes down a little bit, and maybe the Rangers have to get off that high horse because he just hasn't been playing that well. He's just not worth that anymore. But... He's a younger name in a mix, an RFA at the end of the season that you could start to look at as a potential goaltender available. Maybe makes more sense for a team that's looking for a longer-term option like a Buffalo if they went down that route. Doesn't really necessarily make sense for a Montreal if they think that Carey Price is coming back and he's going to perform to his abilities. But there is options for Georg- for a Georgiev trade around the league. There's obviously Corpus Allo in in, um, in Columbus who's available. So there. There are goaltenders available around the league, and, and our job on the Cold Stove Pod, and my job specifically as NRD, is to tell you when and where. And Digging into that, I think the trade market's probably a little slow right now just because of the time of year we're in, but there, I, I would agree with you. I could see 10, 15 goalies being on the move, and maybe not 10, 15 starters, but just goalies in general in terms of depth around the National Hockey League and where those goaltenders get allocated. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it, it's sort of like the, the Spider-Man meme, right? Everybody's trying to... Like who's who's gonna who's gonna pull first here, and in a flat cap world right now, a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of decent one A one B, especially a lot of these names are one B guys. A lot of them make pretty decent money, you know, three, four, five million dollars. That's tough for a lot of teams in a flat cap universe that we're in right now. 
That's what, uh, honestly, that's what makes your gift so interesting at two two point four five, and he's an right. RFA at the end of this year, so he's team controlled as an RFA. He's cost controlled at two point four five, and you know, I, I wonder if the New York Rangers make him available again if he's just the top guy in the market only because of his his cap hit, the fact that he's an RFA next year, the fact that he's young, he's only twenty five years old, and you know, there's some potential there. There's still clay to be molded with Alexander Georgiev, despite having a very weak past couple of years. A team that we have not mentioned in the goalie sweepstakes here, but will certainly be involved, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're currently rocking with Jack Campbell, who was possibly their MVP up to this point. Nylander has a say in that as well. Jack Campbell's played 13 of their 16 games. That doesn't feel sustainable to me. He's played well. He's also due for a big-time raise in the offseason, Toronto doesn't have a whole lot of space to do that. Toronto's backup goalie is currently an e-bug as Peter Morazic is on IR. I know they're looking. I know Morazic feels like a mistake up there. He's been has been hurt more than he's helped. Do you see anything from the Toronto side of things that intrigues you going forward here? It's an interesting question. Toronto, you, we know they're not in the market for an A1 starter right now because Jack Campbell's holding down the fort. Like you said, you're looking for a guy that can eat 25 games, 30 games this season. Arguably and, need to because if Campbell goes to. down right now, what then, is then the, what's really the plan? Then David Ayers right. is starting in net for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs this time. And so, they're yeah. going to have to win every game 7-6. to six. I, I don't know if you're looking – you're not going to spend on a John Gibson, right, at the upper echelon of the goaltender market, right? But you're you're going to have to bring in somebody good. I – just from a speculative, makes a lot of sense. I think Jonas Corpusala makes a ton of sense in, in Toronto. A little bit totally. more of an under-the-radar guy, but really solid goaltender when he's on. I think he makes a great tandem with Jack Campbell. You could make the case that neither of them are 1As, but unfortunately it's hard to find a great 1A in the National Hockey League, so two really solid 1Bs is the next best thing Toronto can do. The problem is going to be the Mrazic cap it. and how Detroit, uh, Detroit uh, how Toronto mitigates that and how they navigate out of that cap hit stash him on injury on LTIR but that only gets him so far if he comes back before the trade deadline so that's going to be the question in that for Toronto is how they can mitigate that cap space of Peter Morazic but at the same time add to that stable so there's a question there Jonas Corposalo is my guess as the guy in Toronto if Columbus decides to move on from him I like that fit a lot I also think Buffalo would make a lot of sense for a Morazic cap dump as they have the ability to do it and they need to start weaponizing cap space a la Johnny Boychuk. What a move. Your newest Buffalo Sabre. Though they didn't uh, really weaponize it in the sense that they didn't get anything yeah, for it. Yeah, they didn't get anything for it, right. Which they is, just took uh, them. They just took them. Which I, future considerations, my man. I, I, maybe there's a backroom deal somewhere. I don't know. But we'll see on that. Uh, I wanted to mention... The Dallas Stars, we, we mentioned their goalie situation. I wanted to mention their coaching situation. Rick Bonus uh, firmly on the hot seat. They had a players-only players only meeting the other day. Assistant coach John Stevens was sent to coach upstairs. He was uh, normally on the bench. They waived Blake Como, who was, by all uh, intents and purposes, untouchable. What is happening in Dallas? I, I don't think I'm going to call it the same as, as Vancouver, but there there's a direction change needed big time down there. It's messaging in the locker room. That's usually what those signs point to. And I'm a big fan of Rick Bonus. I love Bones. 
I was hoping he got the job when he did. Rooted for him. Also, you know, has coached well at times and not well at times. So John Stevens is the guy that takes over, obviously in the interim. But going forward, I, I think he's the strongest candidate as he's gotten head coaching love and, and consideration around the National Hockey League over the past couple of years. So he makes sense as the guy if you if there's a plan of uh, succession beyond Rick Bonus. But yeah, it points to me that there's a messaging change. Anytime a players only meeting goes down in the National Hockey League, because what we have said about ho- uh, hockey locker rooms, there's something wrong in the messaging and what's being translated from coach to player in the locker room. So if the if Dallas is serious about turning the seri- uh, season around, I think you really have to consider making that move sooner than later. I don't think you let that move linger into the all-star break. Totally agree. You know, the thing, like with Dallas, though, they do have, they have a lot in the pipeline. Guy like Logan Stankovin, uh, one of my favorite prospects from last year, who, you know, dipped into the second round, but I think he's going to be a stud. Uh, a Wyatt Johnson, right? They, they have a lot of guys that are coming there, but they do, they like a Jamie Benn contract on the books for the next couple of years at 9-5. Tyler Sagan's contract is on the books forever. Like they they're, they have some top heavy money, but that's that gets cleared out with with Pavelski and Radulov after this season. They just feel like a team in flux to me, and so it's like does is this year kind of just the year they give it one last go? They try to uh, they you know try to add somebody maybe move somebody out that that makes sense like with the goalies, and maybe give this one year and then blow it all up. I don't know. I guess we'll see on Dallas. I. I, I, again, a team that feels without direction to me. It's a fair question. Uh, not a fair question, but a fair statement. I think without direction is the correct answer, and that's when you look at the coach. That's why Rick Bonus is on the hot seat. Let's move on to what what are we what, what's going around the league this week? Uh, I wanted to point out Dion Phaneuf retired today. What do you uh, what do you remember about Dion Phaneuf? Sloppy seconds. Um, <laughs> shout out to Sean Avery. Oof, that's. No, Dion Phaneuf was a great defenseman in the National Hockey League. I think he took a lot of shit for going to Toronto and just underperforming on a bad Toronto team for those dark ages, if you will, of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But he was a stud in Calgary. Kind of resurged his career a little bit in L.A. in terms of his physicality and what he was able to do to round out you know, their last defensive pairing there after he moved on from Toronto. So I've always been a big fan of Dion Phaneuf. Probably not, maybe not a hockey Hall of Famer, but a very solid defenseman when it's all said and done. To me, he's a he's a Calgary flame. Calgary that's flame. just that's just that's like I think of Calgary. I think of Dion Phaneuf and Jerome Ginla, who, sideway, just inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And are there any uh, any Jerome Ginla memory that sticks out to you? You know what sticks out to me, honestly, is just getting started on the NRD account was the Jerome Ginla trade deadline mess when Boston, Colorado, yeah. and Pittsburgh were all fishing around there, and it was hard to pinpoint where Jerome Ginla was going to end up around the National Hockey League. So that stands out to me. Obviously, hell of a player, great leader in Calgary over the years. Overachieved on a on a Calgary team that probably was not as good, carried them to the Stanley Cup Finals in two thousand and four. What a what a fun team that was. I mean, that was peak. Like I was ten years old, peak hockey fandom. Uh, when when so Marty St. Louis was a coach of mine uh, when I lived in Vermont he was at UVM Catamount and he was a summer coach of mine and kind of followed his career from then but Marty St. Louis and Vinny LeCavalier and Nikolai Habibulin versus the uh, the Jerome Ginla led Flames was was 
uh, what a what a fun series that was. So just one of those Stanley Cup finals that I will always remember. I will Long. remember. I will remember, and I won't try to do the impression. I will remember Gary Thorne screaming at Ruslan Fedotenko's name three times Fedotenko! over. Three times over in that Stanley Cup. Yep. What a player, Ruslan Fedotenko. What a player. Flashback. That was, that was a Brad Richards team too. That was a good team, man. Dave Anderchuk was on that team. Torch was a good the coach. squad. He was. He, he sure was. How's any any Torts update that you want to throw in before we get going here? No, but poor guy looks miserable reviewing chicken parm while talking about the national. Oh, I know. You can tell he wants to strangle Bucci, and I like Bucci as much as the next guy, but he is like, oh, what am I doing here? Get me in the locker room. Get me eating Nobu on the road is what he wants to be doing right now. Yeah, probably not eating chicken parm from the Bristol cafeteria. (laughs) Speaking of Hall of Famers, Kim St. Pierre inducted into the Hall of Fame. By and large, one of uh, one of the greatest goalies of all time for the Canadian women's national team, especially back to back to back gold medals. Uh, just one of those one of those women that I, I has is synonymous with women's hockey for me, like a Cami Granado. Um, just wanted to shout her out. NRD, anything on Kim Saint Pierre? Nothing on Kim specifically, but I love what the what the Hockey Hall of Fame is doing lately. But just really digging deep into some great women's talent from over the years, right? Like this is the hockey hall of fame. This isn't the NHL hall of fame or the men's hockey hall of fame. I I give Lanny McDonald and what that organization there is doing complete kudos to really hammering home some of the great women's talent over the past 10, 20 years and making sure they're on, they're deservedly on par with the, with the Marion Hosas and the, and the Jerome McGillan's and the great men's players of our time. So Kudos to Lanny McDonald's, uh, Lanny McDonald. Kudos to Kim St. Pierre, and I hope it continues with the with the National Hockey, oh, with the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the National Hockey League Hall of Fame. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, one of the you you mentioned Marion Hosa, just a, a guy. He's also inducted into the the Hall of Fame. A guy that is, you think Ottawa Senators, you think Marion Hosa, and just an unbelievable career. They they seem to be in the Eastern Conference Finals for like five years in a row. At one point, and he was uh, a backstop. I shouldn't say a backstop, a four check, you know, a four stop. Forgive me for for trying to figure that one out. Uh, just just a guy that you could always kind of set your watch to, getting getting the points, getting a big goal, overtime goal. Marion Hosa was a guy that I enjoyed watching uh, dominate the Buffalo Sabers year after year. Did have that very yeah. weird like he might be allergic to hockey equipment. That's why we're putting him on LTR. Do you remember that? Yeah, There's like what? something with like he couldn't put on the equipment, he was allergic to it or something like that. So Chicago stashed him on LTIR, and that kind of ended his career. So a little bizarre. Maybe some cap shenanigans going on there in Chicago, there, but great play. Maybe I'll I'll write a column that's like the weird uh, guys who are stashed right now on LTIR that are like 38, and you remember them from the 2012 season, but are still getting paid by like you know whether they were bought out or mm-hmm. or they're con- they're just letting their contract waste away. I mean, um, I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo on your column there, but all you have to do is go to capfriendly.com/slash Arizona Coyotes, and you're going to find them <laughs> on the bottom of that list somewhere. There you go. the uh, The New York Islanders NRD. I love, uh, I love doing Isles talk because their fans always like to talk back in the uh, in the comments here. They currently sit last in the Metro at five, five, and two, but they open their season at home in their brand spanking new barn on Saturday. Are you in agreement with me that you can't really tell what the Islanders are until you see them play a couple games in the new barn? 1,000%. Starting a month and a half on the road in the National Hockey League is just not easy. So I've been 
giving them a pass. And I'm going to give them the pass for the next couple of weeks as well. I don't think it just changes overnight. I would hope that they win and they open up the stable in a good fashion and get a win over Calgary this Saturday. But, you know, whether they do or don't, I'm going to give them another week or two to kind of find their footing back in, back on Long Island. But, yeah, you can't judge. It's an incomplete on their season so far. I'm not going to put too much stock into how the Islanders have been performing just because of, you know, their tough stretch on the road for a month and a half. I, I'd like to see the goaltenders at home get comfortable again, perform to the best of their abilities. The Islanders, they're a team we know that has let up the least amount of goals in the National Hockey League these past couple of years. You know, shout out to my wallet betting the under in the uh, Islanders-Devils game the other night, and that obviously didn't hit because the Devils lit them up for a couple of goals, which I didn't see coming. But, you know, that, that I think are signs that, you know, this might be a mirage with the Islanders start. They're better than what they've seen. They don't let up goals. They've been letting up goals lately. Four goals to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning last night. So, one was an empty netter, obviously, but still, like there, there are things with the with the New York Islanders that are just not what we know to be the New York Islanders. So that way, that I'm going to give them a pass right now. I think that's fair. I want to see them at home as well. I, I can't wait to see the new rink. It looks, uh, by all accounts, it's, it's beautiful. I, I mentioned that I I need to go to the trifecta on Long Island next year. Maybe maybe it's like the, a 1 p.m. Mets game followed by the Belmont Stakes, followed by an Islander game, followed by a Chicken Parm at Borelli's. The Grand Slam on Long Island, I will try to make happen uh, next summer, would be unbelievable. Well, even if it's not the Belmont, if you just happen to have an Islander playoff game, Mets Saturday game, Belmont horse track, a couple hours there, I, you, all of a sudden Long Island is a destination now. Tell you what, I've pulled off a Yankees game and an Islander playoff game in the same day. That was fun. That's a solid. That's, that's a solid. solid. That's a, that's that's a fun little trip. There's I mean, a uh, going an annoying the train yeah. ride involved in the middle of that, but no, drove it even worse. Drove it. Oh, jeez. Trying to yeah. drive from the fucking Bronx to Barclays <laughs> Center. That was fun, but uh, it's Woof. been pulled off before. So I, you know, I'm a little encouraged by having the ability to go to the Belmont and then to the NASA uh, to the new Nassau Coliseum to the UBS Stable, the UBS Arena, um, for an Islanders playoff game. Yeah, and you know what? Like you, you think of it, the Islanders have been such a good team with kind of like, I don't want to call it turmoil, but they were at Barclays, and then they're at the Nassau, and they just, they just you know, you, the home has felt temporary for a while. It's going to feel good to have a home base for them, and I think their play will will show that. And I think the detractors from the New York Islanders right now are gravely understating how much that means to an organization like that who, we know Lou and we know Trotz, they're very heart and soul old hockey men in that sense so being home being able to go to the practice facility and you know work out like a normal team and have that normal sense of a daily grind i think will be massive to that organization going forward over the next month or two two guys that i can't imagine love change a whole lot and two guys that i imagine are obsessed with routine whether home or on the road speaking of coaches uh and routines toronto uh you hear about this dress code they had to the start of the season? All you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be a little looser. We're gonna be a little like let the players do what they want. You got some fashion guys and Mitch Marner and uh, Austin Matthews. Now their start has turned around. They're playing much better, but the dress code is back. NRD suits and ties. What do you think of uh, them axing the dress code after Mitch Marner wears a Disney shirt in the building? Lou Amarello made a phone call to his uh, protege, <laughs> Kyle Dubas, and said, what the fuck are you doing? This is not what I taught you um, all those years. 
No, I, I'm a big fan of the players being able to express their personality, so I don't necessarily agree with it, and nor do I really think it makes a fucking difference at the end of the day. Like, let them wear what they want. They're comfortable. They're going to the rink. I don't... It's such a... It's such a hockey thing, right, to be like, you know, you got to wear a suit and tie, and that's how you're going to perform well. I mean, what was yeah. the Deion Sanders saying? If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, play good, play good, pay good, or something like that. So, something like you know, I, let these players be comfortable. To me, it makes no difference. I just, I think it's stupid. It, it's stupid to pull the plug on it now. Like, that's the cause of your problems. I mean, Toronto's issues are their cap space, and Kyle Dubas absolutely blowing up the depth on that team to go completely top-heavy. It's not what Mitch Martin is wearing. Completely agree. Completely agree. A place where guys uh, in the NHL, and everybody for that matter, can be themselves, Las Vegas. They host the NHL All-Star Game in a couple months. Rumors are saying that there's going to be not only events like Hardest Shot and the Skills Competition inside, but they're going to do some outdoor events. Does this, uh, does this do anything for you at all, NRD, in the Bellagio parking lot, basically? I mean, fuck the parking lot. I was hoping we get uh, Phil Kessel in an all-you-can-eat buffet challenge in Vegas. Um, <laughs> that'd be a great skills event. Or uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, uh, no-sniffing challenge, if you know what I'm saying, in, oh, in there Las Vegas. There's a, these oh, are real-world Las Vegas challenges that we can go for the uh, for the All-Star game. No, I think it's fun. I think Vegas is the time for the league to get inventive and do st- some cool stuff. I know the NFL draft was going to be in Vegas this past year. It is now this year, and they... I was watching the Monday Night Football broadcast last night, and they said they expected over 500,000 people to come into Vegas for the NFL draft alone. And now I know the NHL won't pull those numbers, but anytime you get a little inventive with it and do some cool things, whether that's in the parking lot at Bellagio or, you know, you're not freezing over the pond at the Bellagio and the fountains, but just something cool to get the fan engagement in there for people that are not necessarily there for the All-Star game to grow, to grow the sport of hockey. So I'm all for it. Who was the guy in Colorado that thought when they when the, they went to play Lake Tahoe they thought they were actually playing on the lake? Was it Nazem Kadri? I don't know if it was Kadri. It was saw it was definitely there, it was a real story, but I don't know if it was Nazem Kadri. But yeah, one of those players thought they were playing on the lake. Somebody would think that we're they're playing on the Bellagio, the fountains. Somebody would be like, oh, they can freeze that over real real quick. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. I, I generally, I think the the kitschy like inventive stuff can get really lame really quickly that's like the thing, I hate, right? like, any, yeah i don't trust the, the nhl league. yeah i yeah. don't at all because they like the concerts they they prop out before games and stuff i just think come across so lame on tv maybe they're cool in person but like the the mid game concerts and pre-game concerts and and stuff like that i don't know i don't you know. mean do, take a page out of the jaguars playbook the uh, of the nfl and have your mascot do a backflip or, or a gainer off the off the roof that, that that's all i need you you mean uh multi-platinum recording artist kid rock at the 2019 winter classic doesn't get you going like it used to <laughs> do you remember the nhl propped out they they, they signed green day as like the official i don't not performing the official artist band. of the yeah, yeah of it was the like NHL. the official they're gonna do everything but it was like two years ago, and Green Day hadn't put out like a number one album in in twenty. I don't know. It's I don't I don't trust the NHL marketing team as far as I can throw them NRD. I mean nothing. Um, I don't think anything's worse than the Kid Rock uh, performing for the NHL. He's not the Kid Rock that he was at Woodstock '99. Um, he is a very different Kid Rock now. They yes, did have, they did have Kiss fact. play that outdoor game in uh, at the Dodger Stadium a couple of years back. So you know, really Who killing knows? it in the fifty 
50 plus demographic yeah they're th- they're throwing darts at the wall and seeing if anything sticks that's and the then thi- being like and then being like ooh, that's too expensive so we can't get him so hey let's let's run back nelly or something like well that. no i just think that the problem is is if you do an all-star game outside in vegas that the entertainment might be marie and donny osmond and that's my concern <laughs> um with the national hockey because once again gary bettman knows entertainment so um marie and donny osmond wayne newton you know maybe we'll get that puppet guy to do a set in between uh, in between skills, we'll get that puppet guy to do a little ventriloquist I, I, action. You know what's funny is like I, I I know you're joking, but that like no, if it, it happened, it's I, happen. if it happened, I wouldn't be surprised. It's gonna uh, in in less positive news, the NHL has paused the Ottawa Senators season for at least the next three games. They have ten players in COVID protocol. This triggers a clause within the NHL that allows them to. Yank players from going to the Olympics. Do you believe that the NHL would trigger that nuclear option based on three games in Ottawa? Not based on the Ottawa Senators, but if this trickles down around around the National Hockey League. We were close at one point with San Jose. We were close up in one point with Buffalo. I think if you start seeing that happen more often, where you're looking at four or five, six games, you know, get canceled per team for, for a big COVID outbreak. Yeah, I think it happens. I don't think the NHL goes to Beijing. Um, you're, you're, God, it's gonna, it's gonna take more than Ottawa though. But if you're looking, if you're looking at four, including Ottawa now, if you're looking at three or four other teams getting up to like maybe five teams that have missed, you know, a week's worth of games. Yeah, the NHL is not going to Beijing because they need that. They need that time frame to make up those games. Yeah, that'd be a shame. I, I wish they would just say, "All right, we'll we'll put them at the end of the year, build in like a week and a half for playoffs." But that would be just such a bummer. So knock down wood, that will uh, sort itself out. Put it that way. NRD, that's going to do us for uh, do it for us today on Cold Stove Podcast. Anything else before we bounce? No, just keep liking, subscribing, five stars, write a review, give us another five stars, write a second review. Love it every week. I appreciate all the support. I know Brett does as well, um, but he'll tell you himself here in a minute. But yeah, we just. Everything is everything's coming up rosy for the Cold Stuff Pod, and we appreciate your support, but we can only do it with uh, with you guys. So keep showing us yeah. that love. No, the fans have been incredible. Uh, the listeners have been in- incredible. It's fun to see your your takes on our tweets and how we were wrong here, and how I didn't mention Henry Yoki Haru. I did, in fact, correct and say the Buffalo Sabers have two defensemen under contract after this year, up one hundred percent from the previous one that I had said in Rasmus Dahlin. So I wanted to apologize to all my Buffalo faithful for leaving dear old Henry Yoki Haru out of that conversation. I wouldn't take it personally. I think they're angry at somebody else and they're just taking half on you, Brett. It's okay. <laughs> Who would have thought? NRD, that's gonna do it for us today. I am at Schmerriman. That's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. He's still on there, guys, I promise you. Not going anywhere. It's just it's, we've said it so many times throughout the show today. It's 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 heating up. Things are not there yet. The Bunsen burner was just turned on uh for the NHL trade fracas. Um it's coming. It's not there yet. So keep rocking with us, Cold Stove Pod. It's gonna continue throughout the season. Maybe two a week when we come into the uh heavy trade season, but right now, Twitter, here. You know, you're going to get your NHL rumors, NHL news everywhere, but uh, we'd like you to get it here. Consider consider giving us your, your ears and your business. Well, I like it. NRD, we'll see you next week, and uh, maybe something will happen now between now and then. I like your Tarasenko talk. I'm just going to say that. Thank you, guys, and we will see you all next week. Peace.